This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio. Speed City. Good evening, gearheads. We are live in Austin, Texas. Still hungover from the Formula One United States Grand Prix. Uh, yeah, yeah, getting over it. Getting I know. Caught up. Uh, this is John Massengill. That was Les Kaiser. Jonathan Green is not in studio. He had to jump right on a plane and head to Macau. He is down there doing the Macau Grand Prix. Oh, and- no. Oh, mayhem. Let's so not do that this year. Our producer probably doesn't remember that that clip of, Mac- of Mayhem is from Macau. That's right. And that's when they stacked up. It was maybe, oh. was it 18 or 17? But anyway, they stacked up probably Pretty much 30? the entire grid. Yeah, the entire grid <laughs> of, of, of GT cars, of yeah. Ferraris and Lambos and Porsches and oh my. It yeah. was, uh, and it was a low-speed corner. Yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was a low-speed corner where, I mean, they all just kind of crashed into each other going like 30 miles an hour and just kept stepping. But it was a blind corner. Yeah. You, if you haven't seen that clip, there's, it's, I think it's up to about six or seven million Something views of that. YouTube. We should tweet yeah. that thing out. Yeah, but, we'll get that out. But that's where that came from. But that's where Jonathan is. But we are, we're excited. We had a great show tonight, even though we are a little bit hungover from the Formula One Grand Prix being, being here in Austin a week ago. But we have a race driver on the, on the show tonight. We got a guest. We have James Davison, Indy car driver, NASCAR driver, sprint car driver. But he was here in Austin last week. And yeah. he showed up to our event just <laughs> cherry pick. Yeah. He showed up to our esports event that we had in downtown Austin. Uh he just saw it on Instagram or somewhere and just showed up and and uh then got his butt kicked by a, a little 13, 14 year old guy on the F one game. So we need to get that kid on and, and figure this out well yeah. he's going to be racing in the usf4 series there next year he's just too young right now so nice. but yeah he cleaned up he i think we had about what seven or eight races and he won more than half of them he wow. won he probably won four or five of those awesome uh so yeah we got james davison coming on but we also are going to talk all about the indycar acquisition by penske man did that come out of the blue or what that was crazy i did i had not heard uh, anything not, not even a, a rumor not even a rumor not a whisper nothing and so we're going to talk a lot about that we've got some clips from that press conference if you didn't hear them, but some really good stuff and i really have a new level of respect for the captain for roger penske himself not, you know i know he's the captain but but just listening to him man he came off like the the speed and snap of a 35 year old i don't know how old he is now but he's probably you know, late seventies. He's extremely business savvy, and and I've always heard that. And you see the Penske name all over the place, uh, even if you're not related to racing. Oh yeah, with and the... I've known that he had his fingers in a lot of things. And you know, it's it's obviously now it's more so now that he is certainly a solid brain behind that, not just that he knows good people. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk a lot about that 
uh, here in uh, in a couple of segments. In uh, but let's talk about the United States Grand Prix because it was a massive success. Oh, I haven't the, they all week. Yeah, I mean, it started early in the week. Uh, crowds started showing up. Some of the restaurants I went to started getting crowded. Uh, lots of folks coming in, getting messages. Hey, where do I go tonight? All that kind of thing. It, it was fantastic. I mean, I I got pinged more for directions and all of that. And uh, even from the race teams, when they started showing up early, yeah. I went out and, and I went out with a couple of folks the Monday night of that week. And it was really cool that they're now getting here early to enjoy it, enjoy the area. Well, so we heard about a month before from the ticket brokers that the tickets were selling big time. And then when the first day, you know, we had all that anecdotal evidence you're talking about. And then on Friday, I looked out in the crowd and was like, that is a huge Friday yeah. crowd. And then I heard. I heard a little rumor that it was about 50,000 on Friday. And then Saturday was a massive crowd. I, I, um, I don't remember. They did say, they said it was a record crowd for a Saturday. They didn't release the number, but they said it was a record crowd for a Saturday. And then Saturday afternoon, right after qualifying, they announced that Sunday was a sellout. That's the first time that's ever happened for Formula One on Sunday. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And uh, they even came back later and said Saturday officially sold out by the time Qual took. Yeah, they they announced Saturday. Uh, oh, had had sold out more than right. just a record crowd. Okay, wow. So, yeah, that's spectacular for, for on a lot of avenues. Hey, we love it here in Austin, Texas. Love it that the audience has grown to come to the USGP. You know, I don't I don't know what the mix and percentage percentages are where they came from. I love that that happened. You well, know, it's, it's been a slow crawl. It feels like in our book, although that you know business practice that's normal. Well, I, you know, we feel like that. Because I think it's been a slow crawl for the Austin community to embrace Formula One, but not the rest of the country in the world. And in fact, speaking of the, the world, uh, Bergstrom Airport announced that they set another record for a, for a, a single day number of passengers going through the airport. And that was on Monday after the race. And I'm looking it up right now, but I think it was 31. Yeah, here it was. It was 31,000. And just almost 32,000 visitors on Monday. And that's, they broke that, that was, uh, that was a record that was set a month ago with ACL, but Formula One broke it. So I, again, just, um, I'd like to, uh, see what some of these little private places did, pri private airports did around the area too. Cause you know, the, uh, first year they were busy, busy and, yeah. and it wasn't as, uh, it wasn't as big as it was now. Yeah. This past weekend. Well, I saw the usual helicopter uh, business going pretty good up there by Lot T. Yep. So, yeah, I saw that. That was great. Yeah, lots of helicopters coming in and out. But, yeah, it was a, a fantastic weekend for just from an economic side. And the racing, you know, after doing play by or uh, doing pre and post Formula One shows now nationally for two years. We're really honed in to Formula One, right? Absolutely. And I and I realized just how good the racing here it is in Austin. It was really a, not a not the best race we've had, but it's good racing. Coda just gives good racing, and it's a great spectator site as well. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, after going to Monaco and Spa and you know Zandvoort and and floating around some, I really have a, a new appreciation for what we hear it have here at coda and it's it's not just to blow the whistle and we're awesome because we're in texas but it's awesome <laughs> but we'll take it Texas, baby. <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, it, uh, it it was great racing, and you're right. How many people say, "Oh, I sat here, and it was the I felt like it was the best seat in the house," and then you somebody else sat here, and you saw at the uh, at the end of the race. Remember what happened? I think we, if you listen oh, to yeah. the podcast after the post race podcast, I already I talked about this, but after the race, the entire front straight, not just you know right in front of the main grandstand but when they do the let the crowd in for the, the track invasion, invasion track invasion yeah it was full from turn 1 to turn 20 the entire front straight i mean it it was like just squeezed in room right in front of the podium but there were there were people almost continuous from the bottom of the hill at turn 1 to turn 20 and, and so it it was a i'm wondering because last year coda had 265 for the for the race, for the weekend, excuse me. And that was, I think, fifth or sixth uh, around, amongst all 20 races uh, around the world. So if we push 300 this year, maybe, then maybe we're third or fourth largest Formula One event in the world. You know, for sure, top five, I would say. For there were, I mean, you're right. That uh, the post race event was so cool to see the track invasion. One of the things I really enjoyed, you know, we were seeing some views out our commentating booth. Uh, there were some young kids that were probably 10, 12-ish picking up little pieces of rubber and things off the track that, you know, the, the tire slag that comes yeah. out. They were picking those up and holding on to them, putting them in their pockets, doing all this kind of thing. I love that because that's somebody paying attention to something at that young age that they wanted it and they wanted to take it home for yeah, memory's sake. Cool. I have my own. Oh, I yeah? remember what'd you do? The first, not this weekend, <laughs> but the very first time I went to the top of turn one, and they have all those little rocks. And I had some shoes that would gather rocks like that. And yep. they stuck up inside there. And I've left them there. So that was from, what, 2012, yep. early 2012. So I have my own little souvenir. Hey, I want to play a couple of clips that because we had the chance to interview the boss, Chase, Chase Carey, Carey, CEO yeah. and executive chairman. The stash. Yeah, the stash. Uh, so he's the CEO and executive chairman of Formula One, and we just have a couple little clips because we we played some of these during the post race show, and we have a, a full podcast that we're going to put out. You know, one of the things I've figured out with Chase, uh, I've spoken to him at each of the races here and there as I traveled, is he's very genuinely interested in your views of what's going on, and I found that uh, refreshing. After you and I sat with Bernie, he he would yeah. tell you what his views were, and that that was enough. <laughs> well, you know what? <clears throat> to be fair, he got us here. But... <laughs> well, no. To be fair, one of the questions that Bernie asked us when he got all the local media in that little room in 2012, yep. he asked us. He said, "What do you think of Formula One coming to Austin?" That's true. So he did ask her because I did. remembered everybody was afraid to speak. Yeah, and I just spoke up and I said, "Well, I'm." I'm from Austin for what some reason did the context was right. that I said, I'm from Austin and I think it's amazing. Yeah. And he said, well, I'm from London and I think it's amazing or whatever. So yeah. Anyway, I he think, did, he did know, ask us. He, he asked us that, but I don't think he would ask us our thoughts about changes yeah. to implement. That's, that's the message I well, would say. Here's a, here's a, a clip from Chase Carey about sustainability because sustainability was one of the topics in the 2021 rules, which we're going to talk about later in the show, a lot about that. But let's hear what Chase Carey says about sustainability. I mean, I think the environmental issue has really um, become you know, very much a front and center issue for us. I think it's become clear, and I mean, realistically, just in the last few years, 
all you have to do is watch a news channel, watch the media, and see the degree to which in just general life the environmental issue has become front and center. And I, you know, and I think it's, it's made it clear to us in these last couple of years that, you know, that this is you know, both you know, something that's important to us and an opportunity for us. I mean, you know, and we haven't done it, we haven't put probably the focus on it we should. I mean, today we have the most efficient engine in the world. You know, we haven't done a good job you know, telling that story. But you know, more importantly, there's a lot we can do. And so we've made it a priority for us to have a plan short and long term to reduce and ultimately eliminate the environmental impact of our sport. Um, you know, we're working with an array of partners that we can do that in. Um, we think this is an important issue to everybody, and we can play a leadership role into it. I mean, our sport has always, you know, been at the forefront. In some ways, as the pinnacle of motorsports, we've been at the for forefront for technologies that have changed safety in cars, changed uh, technological capabilities in cars, um, you know, sort of, um, you know, various ways to design and, you know, and you know, manage the electronics in cars have come out of um, our sport. And I think we can play an important role, and we do believe um, the combustion engine, you know, with, you know, whether it's through fuels like synthetic fuels, ultimately hydrogen fuels, energy recapture and the like, is a critical part of the solution to how do you create an environmental world that everybody wants. That was Chase Carey, of course, CEO of Formula One. And, and I cut it off right there. Actually, actually, we went to our next question, but it, I found it interesting that he's talked about the internal combustion engine being a crucial part, blah, blah, blah. Right. And... That goes right into the Formula E discussion because you know how Formula E has the rights to an electric-only Grand Prix for I don't know how many years. It's, it's some crazy number, like 50 years or 25 years or whatever. I just thought that was interesting. But, but it is. It, but, but didn't we fight that battle here in Austin when Formula One was announced? And Miami's dealing with that right now, right? But it's not the same because it's in the middle of their city. But we used to fight that battle about well, why is Austin is such a green city? Why would we want this? And we used to say, well, where do you think a lot of this green technology that's hitting automobiles is coming from? You know, a lot of people still don't even realize Formula One cars are hybrid cars and how much of that efficiency technology trickles down. But I wanted to play that clip. We've got a lot more from Chase Carey. We've got one or, one or two more we'll play tonight. And you know, we just had a question. If, uh, if you're listening to us, we're also on uh, Facebook. You can see our stream there, and we take input and comments from you. A uh, gentleman asked, so can you all handle seven races in a row next year? I'm willing to give that a trait. You think that calendar will juggle up things Man, for us? Uh, I know. When they, when they stack them up like that, that is tough, but we'll, we'll deal with it. We'll fight through it. <laughs> There's caffeine. Like, like we're, you own like a we coffee a, company, and you want to sponsor Speed City. <laughs> like, like the guys who travel are, are laughing at us right now just because we have to get up early. All yeah. right, well, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, very excited. We have a race driver on the phone, uh, James Davison. So we'll be back with James after these messages. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. 
You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at DucatiAustin.com. At Circle Brewing, the belief is less is more when it comes to brewing a better beer. You won't find any chemicals or additives, only water, malt, hops, and yeast, and absolutely nothing else. Just simple ingredients and outstanding taste. It's German purity with Texas ingenuity. Find the brews on tap all over town in your favorite store or drop by the tap room at 2340 West Breaker Lane. Open Thursday and Friday nights and weekends. Log on to circlebrewing.com. Circle Brewing Company, born, bred, and brewed in Texas. Talk 1370, the right choice. So Andy Creo driving for Ford Chip Ganassi Racing, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, our next guest is joining us after meeting up with us here in Austin, after seeing a post we had on Instagram or somewhere about our eSports event, because we had all, for the Formula One week, we did an event, and we got all the F4 drivers and a couple of F3 drivers, <laughs> USF3, USF4, and we got them all down to Valhalla. It's this esports lounge in downtown Austin that has a whole rack of these really badass Alienware uh, machines. They've got Xboxes and PS4s and all this stuff. But we had this event down there, and so the Indy, Indy 500 driver James Davison shows up and, and and kicks a little butt, and also got his butt kicked a little bit too. So we want to welcome to the show James <laughs> Davison. Hey, James, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. How are you? Good. How was that event for you? Yeah, it was good fun just playing with the younger drivers in, in motorsport in the Formula 4 series. And, you know, it doesn't seem too long ago that I was that age coming over to the States to chase the IndyCar dream and, and racing at the U.S. Grand Prix at Montreal. Well, in Indianapolis and Montreal, we did back-to-back and it's just such an exciting time in your life and your career. And, and yeah, it was cool to just have some fun with those, with those kids. And, and, um, uh, yeah. And some of them I actually knew from doing a little bit of coaching in the USF 2000 series. So it was just a lot of fun. Well, it was really fun. And I, we're going to do that up big next year, I think, and maybe team up with Coda or F1 or some, you know, try to make it big, but it was really fun watching you guys because Jonathan Green was commentating as he <laughs> so expertly does. He was commentating the race, all the races. I think we raced, I don't know, six or eight races. and But it was fun because you guys were able to yell across at each other, hey, put, quit pushing me off the track or running into me. So it was fun to watch y'all interacting with each other. And I really think this esports thing – I, I'm, I'm kind of tongue-in-cheek here, is going to catch on because obviously it's a multi-billion dollar yeah. industry across first-person shooters and all those. But uh, James, do you do you game much yourself or do you stick to the more more serious simulations? Yeah, like iRacing and so on, I do that. Um, you know, this was F1 2019 on PlayStation with a controller. Yeah. <laughs> So what we were doing. So next year, I highly recommend we get steering wheels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, it was fun regardless. It made it really challenging, you know. Like that's part of being a racing driver as well is adapting to something, and you know, not just saying, "Oh, I didn't have as much time as he did," you know, whatever. You just got to get on with it. And so, yeah, as the grandfather of that group, <laughs> um, you know, I, I had to just, you know, I did a lot less practice than those kids and all of that, but just you know, had fun and we, we all mixed it up and had a laugh and that's what it was all about. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, 
it's really come of age for those young drivers. It's it's comp- another level from my generation. You know, if you're born in the mid '80s, um, you know these kids now born in the mid '90s onwards. It's just it's revolutionised motorsport. How they're able to do so much practice and training before they actually get into the real life situation, and and undoubtedly that's why there's so many good young drivers. Um, let's say in Formula One in particular, that are born in the l- late 90s, like Leclerc, Verstappen, George Russell, Albon, um, Lando, um, and I've probably forgotten a couple more as well, if it's Ocon. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, there's a reason why that, and I'm very sure that it is because of this technology and basically if you don't do it it, it, you know the other guy's doing it and and he's going to just refine his craft and the art of driving how to use the steering wheel and brakes and pedals and it all applies from the simulator to the real car and sometimes even um it's tougher on the simulator because it's more sensitive than it really would be in real life but it's good though because it forces you to just get the fine details in your driving inputs down pat and that's what makes up you know this these huge lap times you see guys like lewis hamilton or, or will power throw down it's all in the fine details so yeah those kids have got something different than we had and and i think it's really showing dividends for them well james i know you've done uh, what indy 500 what at least four times something like that you've been indy lights going up to yeah. indy car nascar imsa sprint cars even and and i can just imagine uh, he's like ha- the Chuck Nor- Norris of racing. <laughs> he's done it all. He's done it all. Uh, but yeah, well, yeah. Talk about your career a little bit, James. I know I just touched on a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, look, so I, I came up in the Road to Indy series. Um, I finished second in the Indy Lights Championship. Um, I did it that year with like Hinchcliffe and J.R. Hildebrand, um, Charlie Kimball, to name a few of them. Um, ultimately, I didn't have the funding that required to go to IndyCar um, and I've just had to really fight for my piece of the pie and um, you know I've done five Indy 500s now and gotten further than I could have really ever dreamed um, for what you know kind of financial resources were behind me and coming very far away from Australia so um, out of that um, I've, I've it's also paved the path where I've driven so many different race cars and race series in IMSA, um, Pirelli World Challenge, NASCAR, IndyCar, Silver Crown, you know, sprint cars, uh, one-offs like the Porsche Carrera Cup race at the Australian Grand Prix, hmm. driving a lot of historic cars because, um, you know, there's obviously a fair bit of wealth in those paddocks and you can drive some clients beautiful old Formula One cars and, and so on. So I've found my, I, I raced at the British Grand Prix this year in a 1981 um, Mario Andretti Lotus that basically uh. the owner w- wanted to sell the car and wanted to have, you know, a, a young professional driver and uh-huh. showcase its ability. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty awesome, huh, to be driving those kind of things. And maybe there's a possibility I do the historic Monaco Grand Prix next year, which should be just so bucket list. Oh, oh yeah! If you, if you do that, you'll Jonathan yeah, is going to probably there. commentated. You did it last year, and and James, I don't want you to sell yourself short. Five Indy five hundreds, dude. That's a that's a pretty <laughs> short that list grid. of short list of people that have done that. But hey, uh, there are some big names that didn't make it to grid this year. So <laughs> yeah, we, absolutely. We won't get into that. 
James, we have a question from our audience. Janet asks, what's your favorite racetrack that you've been on? Oh, that's a good, good question. We won't force you to say Coda. (laughs) No, no. I mean, I definitely like Austin a lot. I really do. Not just saying that. Um, I've had success there. And and when you get the lap right there, it's so rewarding because it's, that you, there's just so many corners that are trying to bring you down and trying to give you an opportunity to lose time. And especially once you've done the first two sectors very well, you can't just sit on your time. You've got to push the last sector extremely hard. Um, and so, yeah, that, that track design is, is uh, I take my hat off to it if it was Herman Tilker or what have you, because it is so challenging and really great for the drivers. But to answer your question, it's, Mount Panorama Bathurst. So that is our Indy 500 crown jewel event in Australia, the Bathurst 1000. And so I've done the Bathurst 12 hour, which is a sports car GT3 race. And it's just so unbelievable, the sensation and how that kind of public road going up and down a mountain and high speed sweepers and blind drops when you start descending and uh, the cambered corners, everything, it's just so Australian out in the, in the bush, as we call it, in the woods, in the country, we have kangaroo problems there. And it's just, it's so cool. Like I really, uh, any driver that has an opportunity to drive Bathurst, I remember the first time I drove it came in after a practice session and just, I was on cloud nine. I just loved the sensation and challenge that that track gives you. I would love to go to the Bathurst race. I think that's a bucket list for Formula no One drivers. I think a lot of people put that on their list. I think that there's a reason that <laughs> it's not just your favorite. I think a lot of people love that race racetrack and that race. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously in in Europe they've got the Nurburgring, which I mean, when you watch any of the audience, if they really love race cars, I recommend they watch this Hunstuck video on YouTube. Just type in Hunstuck BMW. GT uh, BMW M3 GTR and it's a lap of Huns and I'm guessing he's in his late 50s or early 60s 10 tenths in this old GT1 car around the Nürburgring and you know that's the kind of stuff that a kid grows up watching and makes them want to be a race car driver (laughs) (laughs) yeah well I know that the uh, the Bathurst is a is a big one too but um well, so did you, you were here for our event, but obviously you were probably here for the, for the Grand Prix out of Coda. Did you make it out there, I take? Yeah, so I was racing in the Masters Endurance Legends race. So that was all the non-current LMP1, LMP2, Daytona prototype. Yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. GT whatever you can think of. And it's a very good idea, that series, because they've given the owners of these cars a place an arena to go race them and especially if you're doing it at a grand prix weekend and with the sound of the you know screaming v12s and traction control kicking in and big loud v8s in the um, daytona prototypes it was the the times that we were on the track at like eight in the morning i thought there was a pretty good crowd turnout i mean i think they really appreciate race cars that make a lot of noise um, so yeah, I just did that. Basically I had the sixth quickest car. I wasn't going to beat an Audi LMP one car or a Pescarola <laughs> with a Daytona prototype. And we finished there. So, um, I was racing the car with, with a gentleman driver that owned it and, um, yeah, had some of my Indy 500 sponsors involved as well. Just, you know, coming, putting their logo on the car and enjoying an F1 race for the first time. So 
It was cool. It was it was it's always fun when you get to drive a race car, especially when it's not a super serious race and you can just more soak it up and enjoy the pure part of the sport rather than all the pressure that kind of can overshadow the enjoyment sometimes. Yeah. So these kind of weekends are a lot of fun. You know, there, there was no one out there that had the same car as each other. So it wasn't like, oh, you know, you know, I'm quicker than you or God, I need to find a couple of tents. You know, you just <laughs> did your thing and had fun. Yeah, I have. That is, uh, I worked with Bob Constanduras and, and we all kind of took our turns on those. And I absolutely love the history that is on track together at that time and, uh, and sharing it. And, and, you know, I, we probably narrowly missed each other in the paddock back there because I loved going back there and going through the paddock and talking to the drivers, getting the story, what's going on with it, how original it is or, or what's been changed. Yeah. And, uh, just absolutely yeah. fantastic. Yeah, especially the historic F1 cars that were there as well. And I did that race three years ago in a Ricardo Patrese 1978 Arrows, the gold car with the Warsteiner sponsorship on it. And, um, yeah. yeah, that was just a blast, like same as the British Grand Prix, like getting to drive late 70s H pattern F1 cars on a Grand Prix weekend is pretty special you know there's a lot of history with those cars the john player special cars oh yeah there's some people you know own villeneuve cars and louder cars and dreffies it's um i love that part of the sport and i hate my family you know i'm third generation so i can really appreciate it quite a lot so I got to ask you this: You talk about not not pressure, not as much pressure as trying to find that last tenth. But what about the pressure of driving a car that could be worth, oh my gosh, money? I don't, you know, some of those cars you see sell for like ten million dollars. <laughs> so what about that pressure? Yeah, I mean, one of the guys that I've been driving some of these beautiful cars, uh, probably the top one I drove was a nineteen seventy eight Jill Villeneuve Ferrari three twelve T three. And I know that that was probably worth $4 million or what have you. But to be honest, when you get enough experience driving race cars, it's kind of just walking. You know you know how to use the pedals. You know not to push too hard, especially when it's a historic car. I mean, believe me, I have a go in those cars and <laughs> find the limit on throttle and under braking and, and laterally and everything. But you've got to just um, drive it, you know, let's say eight, nine tenths and um, you can get hurt in those cars as well. Yeah, so to yeah. be honest, that, that goes probably before anything, what the car's worth. You're like, I don't want to get hurt in these cars with the aluminum tubs and the fuel cells either side of you. You know, those 70s cars killed those drivers, and, and they do still kill drivers today that, that drive them. So, yeah, yeah you just gotta, you got to just use your head. It's as simple as that. You bet. And it, and like I said, it's so neat to go back there and see the the uh, advancement of technology through the uh, non-ground effects to the ground effects era and then and all the changes. But uh, yeah, well, fantastic. Well, James Davison, we thank you so much for coming on the show. And we're going to call you next year before our esports event. And you can be our consultant. And we're going to we're going to set this thing up right with there you with go. serious pedals and wheels and uh, and and get it done right. So next year it'll be uh, it'll be even cooler than this year. Very good, very good. <laughs> I'll I'll be there. <laughs> All right. All right, James Davison. Thanks a lot, buddy. And and uh, good luck in the rest of the year. And and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it. See you guys. You bet. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll be back after these messages. 
Winding Road Racing is your first and best choice for all the essentials for a great weekend at the track. We're racers, and we love helping racers. With a full selection of racing gear in stock, get geared up with all the safety equipment needed to meet all the latest Snell FIA and SFI regulations. Outfit your car with a comprehensive lineup of racing necessities, and when you need to find a few more tents, turn to data acquisition systems from AIM Sports, V-Box, and others. Austin-based with shops in California, Georgia, and Kentucky. The source for all your racing needs. Winding Road Racing. WindingRoadRacing.com. When you're looking for traditional Tex-Mex, look no further than an Austin favorite, one in a million. Serving original family recipes since 1980 and located just minutes from downtown at 2300 East Cesar Chavez, one in a million has your Tex-Mex fix every day of the week from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Breakfast is served all day. Homemade migas, enchiladas, and menudo. And try the Don Juan taco. Some say it's big enough to feed a family of four. One in a million. Online at oneinamillion.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. Hello, I'm Felipe Massa, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio. Speed City. All right, welcome back to the show. We are going to jump into some IndyCar, but uh, later in the show, we're going to have some clips, a clip from Will Buxton, who was at Winding Road Racing this weekend. Oh, that was, yeah. This past weekend, the past week, I should yeah. say, before it, it the was, Grand Prix. Was, uh, while y'all were down on 6th Street racing cars, we were uh, learning a lot of history. It was really cool. Yeah, and uh, we want to thank Winding Road for, for sponsoring as well, a new sponsor for us, but... But let's talk some IndyCar because they dropped a bomb this week, man. Oh, that I saw was that, huge. And I, I saw that hit Twitter, and I was like, wait a minute, what? And uh, so the Penske Corporation bought the IMS, Indy Motor, Motor Speedway and IMS Productions. And it was a, I mean, it was completely out of the blue. I think we mentioned this earlier in the show, but it was completely out of the blue. And I don't think anybody knew. It was probably the best-kept secret for such a massive change. I mean, it, it almost reminded me of the the Liberty Media buy of a Formula One. It's it's not as many dollars. Sure. I, I, I saw somebody talking about the calculations. I mean, it was probably not. It was probably less than a billion dollar exchange, but still, uh, in our world, massive. I think the George family is going to be okay. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to survive just fine. But Penske, I mean, you know, think about the the impact of this. Uh, you know, obviously, he is a huge player in the IndyCar series, uh, business-wise. He's, you know, obviously successful at doing it. His companies, the trucking companies, some all these different companies he's got tied to it. So I'm really interested in seeing how it plays out. As, as you said earlier, he is sharp. You can hear he's sharp when he's speaking. And so uh, he, he's definitely still very integral to the Penske business and the Penske world himself. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, obviously he's a sharp guy, man. He's got a an empire, really, that he's built with all the different Penske products and and uh, companies and everything. But uh, but it was really a, a a complete out of the blue and a, such a massive thing. And I feel I don't know about you, but I feel that this is a great move. I feel that it couldn't be in better hands, and I think it's fantastic. But I've, I got have a couple clips that we have. That I want to play, and in fact, the first one is from Tony Holman, who's you know the, the Holman family, that the current right. the current owners until they actually close the deal. But let's go ahead and play this first clip from uh, Tony Holman. But but now this one is extra special because uh, to all of us because we've all grown up around it. Um, 
Nancy and I, anyway, we, we came home from the hospital to a, a home just right, right down the street here. So we've literally grown up around it. Our kids and grandkids have done the same. So bittersweet, but very exciting for us because we know that we're passing the torch to um, an individual who has created an organization that is not only dynamic, but it's ideally suited, I think, to take over this stewardship. Um, a corporation that, that is family involved, um, much like ours, um, but with a track record that is really um, without compare. So we're very excited to um, be in a place where, you know, our process took us to a point where uh, we as a family all agreed we needed to have a conversation with Roger Penske. And, um, so I approached him at, at um, the final race of the season, not wanting to distract from the task at hand, which was uh, bringing home another championship. But I wanted to you know, wish him well on the grid. And I just simply said I'd like to meet with him and talk about stewardship. He got a very serious look on his face. <laughs> and uh, I followed up after he, he clinched this championship with a, an email and then another email the next morning, and we set it up. I invited Mark to join us for that meeting, and, and um, you know, kudos to both organizations who, who worked very closely together, uh, very quickly. Um, it was a pretty easy, um, not easy by any means, but 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 this isn't their first rodeo. Uh, your first. Well, as you can tell, he was pretty emotional, and rightfully so. And yeah. but, but did you hear what the how quickly they didn't? He didn't approach them. So obviously, the Holman family approached the Penske team right. after the season. That's how quickly this thing all went down. I think that's uh, you know I think that's phenomenal, and the fact that it moved so fast. We're going to say there's a lot of trust. Yes. And what they had built. Yes. And really good point. You don't move that quickly in that kind of that size of business. Unless there's a, a lot of trust with somebody already and you have faith in, in their vision and their management. Yeah, and the, all that trust because they've worked together for years. Um, I, in fact, that's a good segue. I want to play another clip about this one is Roger Penske. And, and because you talk about trust and, you know, because there could be a conflict of interest here, obviously. But if you notice, yeah. Roger said he was going to step down from the – uh, from the running the race team, and he's going to be, you know, running the organization. But but let's play this clip from Roger Penske. All right, so all right, well, we're gonna we're gonna come back to that one. So, but but dealing with mayhem, I think. I think. <laughs> but <laughs> no, you're right. Imagine the state if you. Uh, you were an integral player, you know, down on pit lane with your team and everything, and now you're in charge of, you know, the whole, the whole environment. Uh, that's a that's a big change, and there's got to be a lot of trust. Yeah, uh, absolutely, it has to have a huge amount of uh, trust. But this clip is the one we want to play is the conflict of interest from Roger Penske. So, uh, do we have that one ready? Yeah, we got it. Let's let's play Roger Penske. Well, I think the uh, as you look at the construct as we go forward, uh, you know, well, the, the 
sanctioning body uh, and the IRL will be a separate company uh, and the other assets will be in the Speedway. And I think with uh, uh, the proper board, and I think you have to ask our competitors uh, uh, at this point, uh, you know, Tony's been a car owner. We were talking about it today. I think Tony has said that all along, you know, Wilbur Shaw, Eddie Rickenbacker have been drivers. So there's, there's been some history. But I don't want to leave this conversation without knowing that I understand the integrity. And there's got to be a bright line. And uh, to me, I know what my job is. And uh, hopefully I've got enough credibility with everyone that we can uh, be sure that that is not a conflict. And uh, I'll do my very best to be sure that isn't. And if, I'm, if you think it is, I hope that I know that uh, you folks will tell me pretty quick. So I've got a lot of guys watching me. Huh. Yeah, you know what? I feel comfortable with it. I I want to be paranoid, but I feel comfortable with that. So I I think it's I th- fine. I think this you know to parallel it is uh, you know Zach Brown, Russ Braun. Think of think of guys like those in the Formula One world who have made a drastic change uh, from administration to team or or the opposite direction. There has to be a lot of trust in their integrity, how they're going to use their prior knowledge. Uh, whichever direction they came from the administration to the team or, or vice versa. Well, I want to play another clip from uh, Roger Penske because he's got some interesting plans for, uh, for IMS and including, he said uh, the F one word in the middle of these. So let's Mm. hear from uh, Roger Penske on plans for IMS. Sit down with the existing team and, and get their top 10. I always like to work from a top 10 and see the things that we can do to make it uh, uh, fan-friendly. Certainly from a competitive perspective, uh, uh, I'm planning to really step down from being a a strategist on the pit box. You won't see me there on race day. Uh, I think I've got a bigger job to do now is to try to see how we can build a series to the next level. It would be nice to bring another uh, car manufacturer in. I know Jay Fry is working on that. Can we uh, have someone else come in to join the series? What can we use this for? Can we run a 24-hour race here? Can we run a Formula One race here? You know, what are the things that we can do? This is a great asset. And, uh, you know, once the tradition had been broken and adding the NASCAR race, which obviously we're going to get behind that in a big way because for 27 years they've run here. So I look at all of these across the board to see, you know, what can we do? This, This business is not broken. This is a great business. And the leadership team that's been here has done an outstanding job, and what we want to do is be a support tool. You know, we bought Michigan Speedway in 1973. It was bankrupt. You know, we built California. You know, we're running the Grand Prix or helped present the Grand Prix in Detroit. So this is in our DNA, and I think that uh, with input from the media, uh, certainly input from our sponsor partners uh, and and all the teams, uh, I had a chance to talk to most of the teams today, the principals, and we're looking forward to getting together with the car owners and seeing what we can do to make IndyCar even stronger. And I think that's something that would be a priority for me. You know, he said it's not broken. I mean, yeah, it, you don't, I don't think oh, of I, that at all. I think, no. of, I mean, look how well IndyCar is doing as a series and IMS. I mean, I, it's, it's certainly not broken. <laughs> no, I, I'll admit 10 years ago, I was a bit bored with it. But it is definitely livened up and come back in. Dramatically. I love the personalities that are in it. Yep. I love the tracks they go to. I, lo- I love the advancement, and I, I do. I think 82-year-old captain's going to do fine there. Yep. 
Well, I, you might have heard a phone call coming in during the middle of that interview, and I think that was Jonathan. And we're going to go to a break and see if we can get him connected in from halfway around the globe, which is always hard to do, but he's over at Macau. So stick with us through the break, and we'll get Jonathan and get an update from Macau. You're listening to Speed City live from Austin, Texas. Back after these messages. Circle Brewing, the belief is less is more when it comes to brewing a better beer. You won't find any chemicals or additives, only water, malt, hops, and yeast, and absolutely nothing else. Just simple ingredients and outstanding taste. It's German purity with Texas ingenuity. Find the brews on tap all over town in your favorite store or drop by the tap room at 2340 West Breaker Lane. Open Thursday and Friday nights and weekends. Log on to circlebrewing.com. Circle Brewing Company. Born, bred, and brewed in Texas. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride. Or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at ducatiaustin.com. Talk 1370. Hello, I'm Jenny Gow from BBC F1. You are listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio. Speed City. All right, we are going to try to talk to Jonathan Green. He's halfway around the world getting ready for the Macau Grand Prix in China. In oh, the... no! Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah, in case we don't, we've got that. We've got <laughs> That's our backup. So, all right. Hey, Jonathan Green, can you hear us, buddy? Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's he, him. He can hear us. <laughs> How's it going, man? Good, man. How you guys? Uh, we're good. We, uh, we're still hung over from the Grand Prix here in Austin. I can't even imagine you getting on an airplane the following day and going half around the globe and, and, and getting to work behind the microphone in Macau. Yeah, I have to be honest. I, I got here early cause I am a bit, uh, a bit left-handed, um, so to speak. Uh, and I've got a few days off before I get going, but I've just started my research. Um, and I'm going to go and walk the track today because, it's a big it's a big weekend this year because we've got F3 but of course F3 is now FIA 3 which is the old GP3 so we've had to modify the circuit to uh FIA grade 2 um and when you know it's a street circuit there's <laughs> not a lot of modifying you could do so I'm here early to check out the track and uh, again we've got a really really good strong field of of youngsters coming up well, you including know, an American. Yeah, that's right. Logan Sargent, FIA Formula Three driver, and well, that's a that's actually a really big deal that that it's and I like that and it's falling in line with all the other uh, regionals and everything. But it this is an actual FIA Formula Three event, right? It counts as as part of the points and towards the championship. It does not count towards the championship, but it's officially a World Cup. Uh, oh they yeah, have two. Yeah, they have a. In fact, we we have the GT World Cup. So uh, a lot of the guys that were in Shanghai yesterday 
including um, GTLM Pro winner Kevin Estra will be racing in GTs. We've got the Formula 3 World Cup, which is two races. First race counts towards your qualifying for the grid for the second race. And it's the World Championship. And then there is the World Touring Car Championship, which uh, is TCR. But that is the final round of the World Touring Car Championship. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's basically Macau now is officially a World Championship kind of World Cup. Well, I am disappointed that we only have one American, Logan Sargent, because we've had, not that we've had a ton at, every year, but but I, I definitely wanted more. And I, and I know that's such a great opportunity for, you know, uh, Americans to come down there. And, and I mean, I know it's not like the Toyota Racing Series, but they can come down and get some good track time. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, Logan's been racing for Carlin in the UK and he's been he's been he's a bit like Rossi. He left our shores or left American shores a few years ago and he's been, uh, you know, plowing his furrow out there in, uh, in Europe. And this is his first time at Macau. And they always say that because it's such a tough circuit being a street circuit, that the first year is a, is a sort of trial period. You learn the track and then you go for it the second year. And I think that's going to be the case. Same true of Liam Lawson. There's quite a few uh, F1 junior races here as well. We've got the Ferrari Academy represented by Kiwi uh, Marcus Armstrong. You've got uh, another F1 Academy driver, Robert Schwartzman, who uh, is from Russia. He um, won the uh, FIA F3 championship this year. Uh, and there's, there's many others. And then there's guys like Dan Tictum, and that's the big story of this weekend is that Dan Tictum, who won the race last year and the year before, is coming back to race a third time. And for his career, having been dropped by the Red Bull Formula One junior team, uh, it's kind of make or break. So there's some really good stories up and down the grid, but just the one American, Logan Sargent. And, you know, I say that I'm disappointed there's not more <laughs> Americans, but it needs to be the right. You need to be at the right spot in your career. Like I could see maybe uh, uh some of the F3 guys like Dakota Dickerson or uh, Kyle Kirkwood, for example, having the chops to go to, to Macau because you don't want to go there. It, that's not someplace where you're really going to learn. No, and it's very true. You're right. I mean, there's no question that Dakota Dickerson and Kyle Kirkwood could do it. Um, the man most likely to be the next one in line will be Cameron Das, who's already over in Europe. Um and so look out for his name. But last, you know, I mean, Gustavo Menezes, who uh, had another good result in Shanghai yesterday. Yep. He was here. As you know, Santino Ferrucci's raced here. Uh, Ryan Tavita has raced here. And Juan Manuel Correa, who sadly is uh, still recovering from his injury, uh, raced here as well. So there's been Americans over the years. And of course, looking further back, we've had some great Americans here, including, you know, Including Price Cobb back in 1983. How about that? Really? <laughs> That's great. Good there job you go. on your research there, young man. You. I know. I, spot I spotted him last night and went, I'll give him a shout out. Oh, there that's great. He's probably not listening. I uh, saw that he's in Las Vegas this week for, I don't know, some little car, motorcycle, motorsport gathering. Ah, so he's in the sister city in the United States to Macau, actually. SEMA. <laughs> I know what's going on, right? Yeah, there yeah, you go. There you go. All righty, I've John. I've got another good story for yeah, you. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, do you remember last year when you watched it, there was this horrific uh, crash? Sophia with Flourish. Sophia Flourish. Yep. Yeah. Well, she's back, and um, she's going to race. And wow. she's going to race. Wonderful. Um, and she's only, she hasn't actually raced FIA F3, which is, if you like, that's another reason, by the way, that the Dakota Dickersons and the and the Carl Kirkwoods, 
that car is effectively a regional F3 car, right. whereas the FIA F3 car is effectively the old GP3 car. So there's DRS. It's a bit more powerful. Anyway, she did a test uh, the other week. Uh, she wasn't doing anything too particularly strong, but she's in. And she really wants to come back and race it and kind of, you know, get the monkey off her back. And she's the only female driver. And uh, I wish her luck. She's just 18 years of age. And uh, I say power to her to come back after that amazing accident and, and be willing to, you know, to face the demons, as it were. Yeah, that was probably the most horrific yeah. looking crash all, of all of last year I, that I can think of because she was going just like 175 miles an hour. That's right. When yeah. she crashed, it was crazy. But that's good for her to get back up on that horse and get back in. I forgot she's so young. I knew she was young, but I, I right. guess that would have made her 17 last I, year. I'm giving Jonathan an assignment on something that Go I on, came man. across this weekend. So speaking of young drivers, there's one coming up. She's from Japan. She hits I, all of the big spots, and the name is Juju Noda. I saw this. She is 13 years old now, has already been in open-wheel Formula cars for two years, she has taken up moving and going to countries that will allow her to qualify and demonstrate her skills at this young age. And then she gets in the cars and she does phenomenal. She's got a racing history through her parents. But uh, keep an eye out, Jonathan. You may find this Juju Noda, J-U-J-U-N-O-D-A. She's so 13 years old. So it's her father, Noda. Exactly. Ah. Ah, see? You're Good halfway you. there. That's Good for you, cool. Mr. Green. Yeah, so so therefore she's just 13, so she's too young for Macau. But um, I tell you what, I will ask the up-and-coming F1 Honda Red Bull Junior that is Yuki Sonoda. Uh, <laughs> I'll ask him. I'll ask him what he's all what she's all about. Well, so far rumors are that she is the youngest female to be as qualified as she is and have demonstrated all the success she has in Formula cars coming up really pushing the limits as we saw Max Verstappen of age limits. Wow. That is really cool. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely do some research on her because that's the first I've heard. Hey, you know, we joke about my commentary on the GT race about the mayhem. Yeah. Um, well, uh, it, it will be an action again. And I have to say, uh, it's not a bigger field, but that's not a problem. It's about 20 cars, but my word, they've got some skill. I mean, We've got Earl Bamber, who, who's raced, of course, with more speed and, yep. and in America as, as won Le Mans. We've got Kevin Estre, who was winner at uh, Shanghai this weekend. We've got uh, Andy Prio, who won his third World Touring Car Championship. Uh, he's not doing GTs. He's doing World Touring Cars again. But we've got some really good pedalers. And how about this for the GT class? I know the, the movie Ferrari versus uh, um, Ford is coming out this yep. week. But all the cars in GT are German. So they're either <laughs> Audi, Mercedes. Uh, what's the other one? Porsche. <laughs> Probably <And> Porsche. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that was a jab at me. It's all right. I can take it. Yeah. Just check it. Uh, well, you know, as, that? that's very cool. And yeah. that is, that's really exciting racing to watch. I remember I watched that big giant crash. I watched it live. I was streaming it and it yeah. was on it like, I want to say about eight o'clock here on a Friday night. So I guess it'd be this yeah. coming Friday night, the equivalent. And, uh, right. and it was a great stream. I was casting it to the TV and, uh, and, and I think they, didn't you say they're getting better and better every year at the streaming technology and it's really good. It's, it's easy to watch. I think you can watch it either on 
the FIA website or on the Macau Grand Prix. I think it, just Google it and it'll I, come I, up. Yeah, I will send you the link uh, and we'll tweet it out this week. Um, but that's why I get here so early because we actually stream all the practice sessions. Nice. Uh, and so we have somewhere in the region of seven races, including a motorcycle race. So uh, we've got two local races, one a GT race and one a touring car race. We've got the World Touring Car Championship, GT Championship, F3, uh, so, and, the, and the Motorcycle Grand Prix. And we will, we will be starting from uh, Thursday all the way through Sunday. You can watch it all live for nothing. All right, That's well, very dogs cool. living together. Everybody's there except <laughs> all right, us. Well, we're out of time, boys. Jonathan, thanks for calling us up. Man, we have the best connection we've ever had from Macau. It's awesome. <laughs> there you go. All right, well, don't forget, we'll be back on the Formula One trail next weekend. For And uh, go to our website, speedcitybroadcast.com, to find out where to listen to our national pre-race and post-race shows. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank James Davison for coming on. Awesome. And we will talk to you next week. Ciao, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.